0: I'm Stephen Downey and you are very welcome to episode 31 of the Mindful Living Guide. We are back after a break of just about a year now, actually. Um, for uh, many reasons, I decided to take a break from uh, the podcast. Uh, we we're in the middle of a big build in the house and uh, I had very little headspace for anything else at the time. And I took the, uh, the decision to uh, step back from the podcast and just concentrate on other projects for the time but we are now back and this is our first interview uh, it's with an amazing guy he's uh, john murray of john murray headshots many people might have seen my um beautiful profile picture that i have and uh, that was one of uh, the shots from my session with john murray uh, a couple of years back he's a uh, is a great guy we talk about all sorts of things from um just self-image and um uh, facial profiling we touch on grief as well actually and um other things and it's just a really interesting conversation uh john is a brilliant guy and i think you'll you'll get to know him by the end of this uh conversation he's uh he's just super he really has a depth of knowledge on many many things and uh he has really really helped so many people over the years uh to overcome their hang-ups with their own image and uh what, what as he calls it helps them to embrace their face Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. And I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Mindful Living Guide. So this week, uh, we have a great guest on the show. His name is John Murray of John Murray Headshots. Uh, When John's not feeding a, a famous herring called Bertie, kayaking on the Liffey, or judging World Steak Challenge contests, John's also known for shooting people in the face. John Murray, you're very, very welcome to the Mindful Living podcast.
1: I just realised, looking at myself, that I look like one of those contributors on Sky News that have no idea that they're on camera. (laughs) Uh, And it's three herons. Three Harry's. Oh, I thought yeah. it was only one. Ah, brilliant. No, the first one was Bertie. So Bertie a heron was that the first one. It was a male. And then the second one arrived. And I thought one day, I said, Bertie's looking particularly filthy today. And then when I realized it was a female, it was a second one with a little tough thing on her head. Okay. And so we named her Charlize Heron. <laughs> and then we realized there's another one now with gray legs and a gray beak is a juvenile. And we okay. think it's a juvenile male. So we started calling him Zach F. Heron.
0: <laughs> so yeah, heron. brilliant yeah but, uh, so no, I, I love seeing the pictures on it. it's amazing that they're, they're coming to the house it's um yeah my course. wife goes out and
1: stands in the garden and waves at them when they're up on the neighbor's roof and <laughs> they fly down onto the shed because they know that's the feeding platform now because they were eating off the grass and are you, off the shed.
0: are you feeding them the uh the wagyu steak or anything like that or is there any secret to getting them into the garden my rates in this studio are not that good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're good. They're, I'm expensive, but I'm not that expensive. Awesome. You have to put a new thing up, uh, feed the birthday fund. Now, um, <laughs> they get a combination of fish, chicken bones, and yes. other bits and pieces, like oh, now man. uncooked chicken bones, um, because you can't feed your dog chicken, <laughs> cooked yeah. chicken bones because it's splinters. So the same kind of rules apply, I think. Um, or Aldi brand hot dogs out of a jar interesting yeah my father-in-law started that and they seem to love them well, uh, so well listen, the
0: let's let's get back to like the headshots I I think it's amazing that uh, and actually one of the reasons why I noticed you um a few years ago was that if you go to LinkedIn you always know a John Murray headshot there's like a signature to it um it stands out from a crowd and uh, can you just take us back about like where where did this start that you you like I know you're you're in many different careers before photography but how did you develop this this john marie brand um organically is
1: i suppose i never really intended on developing a business and stuff like that photography started as a hobby and it kind of developed into a thing and it seemed like a good idea to do these things so i did started to uh i I got lucky it's kind of who you know really so i ended up photographing magazine work and magazine covers and things like that and then as that developed i I was shooting weddings and things and i knew it was good cracked and the photographs were great because people looked like they were natural in the photographs. Um, and in 2014, I was lucky to train with Peter Hurley, the top headshot photographer in the world. And when I trained with him after that, actually before that, I'd had a conversation with him about self image, about seeing people in photographs. I said to him, I'd, I'd photographed a singer and she looked at the pictures and she said, doesn't look like me. And I know that when we see ourselves in the mirror, it's wrong. It's back to front. So when we see photographs, it's wrong for us. So, I said to Peter, do you ever just flip the, v- the photographs horizontally and give it back to them? I go, there you go. And they go, yeah, that's much better. Because I had done that with that girl, just out of frustration. And he said, never do that. Educate them. And then he showed me a photograph on his phone of a lady. Her name is Umpele Kilagobe, And he said, look, what do you think of her? And it's like, she's beautiful. And he said, well, when she was in my studio, she stood in front of the camera. We took some photographs. We brought her out, showed her the screen. You've been here. You know how it works and her husband was sitting on the couch and she shouted across at her husband honey i hate my face and she was miss universe when the photograph was taken so what chance the rest of us have but he said you educate people and it makes all the difference and it corrects that rather than kind of putting a band-aid across it with one or two nice photographs and flipping it horizontally or whatever you teach them to see what they look like and teach them about themselves
0: why, why do you think we have such a bad self-image of ourselves apart from obviously just seeing a reflection and not seeing the reality what what do you think this comes from inside us all because it's 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 not obviously just her that feels it's like i know i had the same feeling when i went, went in the studio that what i saw wasn't what i was expecting yeah
1: because right so we've had eyeballs for 90 million years just so squishy things could look at other squishy things and make sure you didn't get eaten. We still do that. So everything we understand is based on a shape, numbers are shapes, words are shapes, people are shapes. We're all shapes. It's all that it's all what we understand because your brain is processing too much information to care. So like if you walk up Grafton street and pass 25 or 30,000 people, you won't pay attention to any of them, but what your brain is actually doing is scanning every single shape you walk past based on its speed to make sure they're not predators. Position the eyes, the position the head is in, the shape of the shoulders. But if you interact with a person, you start looking at different shapes. So you look at the eyebrows, the lower eyelids, and the corners of the mouth as a unit shape. So we know what emojis are based on the shapes of them. We know if they're happy ones or sad ones or whatever. Depends on we're given the color as well, but generally we're just given the shapes. And we understand based on the shapes of what we do with our faces. So when you see yourself in the mirror, you think you look like that, but you don't. It's back to front. It's wrong. You're the only person in the world who sees it. And when you see a photograph on a screen or on a printed photograph, your brain believes that's an actual person standing in front of you for 90 million years. It was, and now all of a sudden we're interacting with technology. So the technology cameras are only 180 years old and the glass makes mirrors 200 years old. So we've had mirrors longer than we've had cameras and generally to have your photograph taken has been more complicated, you know, because it costs money. It's something that not everybody has. And for a long time, they didn't Now sure there's three cameras on this phone you know we have cameras everywhere but the technology is wrong and what it sees is wrong and how it interacts is wrong and like all of that information is always wrong so yeah it's about correcting that i suppose and it's about understanding So the lights are very dark um sorry i'm very dark because of the lights
0: it's all about <laughs> the good light. Like, show off! The <laughs> wow, post. you look amazing. There man. you go. It's all about the gorgeous. Get it onto the right cheek. But um, things, like, you bring me a lot of tools to to try and like overcome those obstacles. And um, like, it's, like I know, like you you describe yourself before as um you like a you just you're not a photographer. You just happen to use a camera as part of your work. Um, yeah. So a, lot, a lot of the work you do in your studio is lot is, is about like about self talk about actually bringing that out. Um, and I know you look at like facial profile and things like that. Can you tell me a bit more about like that side of the of the pornography well
1: everything that i take photographs of is essentially a person but a person is not just a husk on the outside it's what's going on on the inside so what we're doing is we're understanding what's going on on the inside and how we're wearing on the outside i suppose that's that signature thing that you're talking about as well something within my pictures that you kind of look at them and the psychological hacks that's exactly what they are they're non-verbal hacks so i'm Implementing things in the studio that I know, if you look at a certain image and you look at it in a certain way, because the person is doing something in the, the image, we have cells in our brain called mirror receptors that make us copy exactly what we see in other people. So when you see that happen, even though it's only a photograph, your head will go forward, or your head will go to the side, or you'll do something based on what the person is doing.
0: And I'm at sometimes photo- you're talking, I'm kind of yeah, yeah, <laughs> we yeah, yeah, moving head because thing. I'm yeah. doing it. yeah
1: But these are all things that we do because we're supposed to do them. You know, it's just the way that we're supposed to move. We're supposed to move in certain ways and we just do it because it's natural. So I'm just kind of hijacking what is normal and what is reactive so that people see it in photographs and they just move in the same way and they connect in the same way as if the person was actually standing in front of them. Um, but it's using psychology and anatomy and physiology and endocrinology, the hormone study, like okay. understanding all of those things together. And then understanding the technology and the camera doesn't see what we see. So we've correct for that. You remember the whole lean back yeah, and lean throw back your head then. out and do yeah. all this stuff where it feels really odd, but when you see it in the picture, you go, actually, that looks normal. Yeah. And um, so it's understanding all of those things and how they intertwine with each other. And then the profiling thing as well is is important. Joseph has taught me loads over the years, and you know, I spend a lot of time trying to learn more off him anytime I can and any way I can, because, you know, he's a genius. And it's incredible to look at somebody and to instantly know because like how they're going to react or how they're going to interact with what I'm doing without having to go too far with information and then go, I've lost her. I'm going to have to backtrack. You know, I know now that if somebody I, I know how to process and deal with people who want to be drip fed information rather than give me all the information and let me deal with it you know so it's finding that balance um and how they're the just way.
0: just the profile of someone's face so i was fascinated when in the studio and you were chatting to me about this but the um the different the, 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 that different traits of your face actually uh are, are like a, a, you can you can see the characteristics behind it straight away and um, you yeah. actually joseph that we refer to as joseph mcguire of um clear sight communications Definitely look him up if you don't, if you're not aware of him yet.
1: Yeah, like and it's it is it's fascinating. Like when I met Joseph Forrest, I was a bit weirded out by what he does and the fact that he makes eye contact with you and he talks to you like constantly. And you're like, he's (laughs) reading stuff. (laughs) (laughs) He knows I'm not wearing any boxer shorts today. Um, yeah, no, like, but he's just he's just so incredible at what he does. And for me what he does kind of marries well no I don't need to ever go to the level of detail that he does like yeah I just I've watched him do it a few times and come up with stuff and you are kind of going, where did that come from and be so accurate like he told one guy Simon Tyler he said something happened to you financially catastrophic six months either side of your 39th birthday and I looked at him and went what um, and Simon went white as a sheet no absolutely white as a sheet he said I got divorced uh, and she got everything I went know. What? <laughs> wait, you can hold see on. See this
0: by someone's eyebrows, <laughs>
1: uh, it's a crease across the top of his nose, and I was like, wait, 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 how? Where did that come from? Wow! And it was only we had dinner afterwards, myself and Joseph. Maybe six months afterwards, and for six months I've been tormenting him to tell me. Yeah. Um, and then we sit and having lunch, or we were actually having lunch two doors up in the studio, and he, I said it to him. I said, "How was that?" And he explained the whole kind of process, and I was like, "That's amazing." You know, there's a lot that we wear. Like the forehead cadence gives a lot away because I just had a psychologist in here, we're talking about it. She, like, when we think of like Neolithic man had a head like a pistachio because he didn't need to process new information. The part of your brain that processes new information is called the prefrontal cortex, it's this bit right here. and that didn't need to be big because we didn't have a lot of information to process new information, not no problem solving. Like we had f- find food, find shelter, find water, make new pistachio head babies. That was it. But then as we started to interact with more like bigger environments, new environments, more bigger social circles and stuff like that, more people, we needed to develop a way of processing that new information, which was the prefrontal cortex. And as that developed, it needed somewhere to go. So based on the cadence of somebody's forehead, you can tell how they process information and how creative they are because of, uh, the, the, kind of cad- the, the cadence of the top and the, the front of the forehead. If like we see people with uh, ASD autism and uh, analytical people will have very direct forehead because they deal with process-driven things. They're not looking for creative solutions. So they will have like a long forehead, like a, long, a straight forehead, basically. Um, and it won't cadence off like quite fast at the top. But as a cadence is off, you can tell how creative people are. Um, kind of, you look at some people and you go, he has to be intelligent, you know? And it's like, yeah, there, we, there we're aware of that stuff. We're already aware of it. We just don't know we're aware of it. And we don't yeah. know why we're aware of it, but we're, it's already there, a lot of that information. So.
0: Wow. Wow. The um, what do Like, I, I want to talk to you about as well because I know, like, I I I know everyone we see on Instagram mightn't be everyone's life, but you seem to me to be someone with a great work life balance. And I know in the last few years, like things have changed uh, in people's lives. We're kind of working from home a bit more. We're not we're not uh, commuting as much. Um, but what do you think is important to work life balance? What do you think? Uh, like, do you think we're going the right direction nowadays?
1: Ask me this question in three weeks. <laughs> 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 I'm doing a six day week this week. Oh. Um, yeah, the worst week to ask you this question. No, it's cool. Um, yeah, I do have a good work life balance, but that's only from kind of knowing I'd push myself too hard. You know, when I went full, full, full time with this business, I yeah. tried to validate the business by working 100 hours a week. Mm-hmm. It's like not enjoying it, slogging away, and I wasn't productive. And I went, you know what? I want to do this because I enjoy it. And I want to do it because it's fun. And I want, look, I'm not spending my life working for, I don't know, for nothing. Like, um, So I just decided, right, that's it. Coming back three days a week, three sessions a day. And I'm going to enjoy every session I have in the studio. And I'm going to enjoy everything I do. And then it gives me wiggle room then to do like an extra day here an extra day there on site yeah. with clients or whatever when somebody asks me, yeah. or if yeah. I have a big on day, on site day, I'll block off a day in lieu of that in the studio and go, right, well, we're not doing Tuesday in the studio this week because our next week, because yeah. I spend spending a full day on site with a client and it's going to be yeah. 24 faces or 40 faces. And it's going to be, that can be exhausting because you're looking yeah. at micro expressions and tiny changes in light. Yeah. So yeah, that, like I think it's important. Where I think we are going in the right direction because more people have an awareness of it. But psychologically, it's like the "do as I say, not as I do." Yeah. you know, I that, my brain goes straight to Italian and that uh, <laughs> "fai come a dico, non come a faccio." So like, do as I say, not as I do. But that happens, and that's 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 what's going on at the moment. I think a yeah. lot because you have to weigh up the. I have to pay my bills. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to do that. The Life yeah. happens, right? And yeah. life is happening around us. And we're not affording ourselves the ability to only work two or three days a week or four days a week because yeah. we kind of see that we need to have all of these things I have to pay the car, I have to pay this, I have to pay that. Yeah. And you might need to cut back on some certain things to only work three days a week to give yourself the, the life balance. Yeah. But like, I'm lucky in what I do that my business has built to the level that it's built. And like, I don't do any advertising or any of that. Like I just, everything comes in on on referrals or through kind of like returning clients. And Mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate in the position that I'm in now that I can work three days a week and I can go kayaking in the mornings and I can do whatever else I want. Just because I know from the amount of concentration that I have when I'm in here and what I have to put into it psychologically, that Mm -hmm. I need to go stupid for a while. I need to go completely dumb and not think about anything and um, just go and look at the fish. Um, but you know, that's the thing. I think,
0: but how, how did you get that awareness? How did like, is, do you think it's from having bad days and going and having struggles to, to get to that realization that sometimes I just need to do nothing. A few different
1: things gave me the realization, I suppose, I went in 2017, I was about 83 kilos, and then not long after that, I was about 120 kilos, so I had piled on the weight, because I was constantly working, now, lazy food habits, lazy drink habits, speaking at events that have food and drink at them, and then at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, you're having a couple of drinks at an event, and then you go home, and you're starving, you know, chipper on the way home, or getting home and having food, lazy food, but... All of that kind of was intertwined, right? And then when I started to cut back and go, Do you know what? This is not, it's not fueling me. It's not making me happy. I'm just going to stop doing it. And um, then all of a sudden I start making better decisions because I was more aware of the decisions I was making because there were fewer decisions. Mm-hmm. So I was like, right, that's it. I'm just going to make fewer decisions. I'm going to do things that make me happy and only things that make me happy. I'm only taking on jobs and things that I want to do rather than taking on everything for everybody. Yeah. Um, and I think other people can do that as well in just saying, no, yeah, sorry, that doesn't.
0: It, I think there's an important thing that you mentioned there as well, things that make me happy. There's many people out there that they don't know what actually makes them happy. And sometimes we have to kind of step back and stop what we're doing to find out what actually do you enjoy? What do you actually, what makes you happy that you yeah. want to do? And
1: it's the idea of what actually makes you happy as opposed to what your soul makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Buying stuff makes you happy, doesn't yeah. it? Buying like stuff gives gear. you more yeah. stuff yeah. that you have to pay to man- maintain. Yeah. But like, you know, I, Again, something else we're talking about today. But there's, if you look at Coca Cola ads or any ad on the television, they're selling you happiness, right? So they're yeah. telling you that if you buy Coca Cola and pour it all down your chest in the middle of a, par- a park, you know, that's great. You know, next to the playground, all the mummies, all the mothers will be looking at you, you know, and they think you're wonderful. It gets you banned from the park, right? But <laughs> that's where we're sold the idea of elation because the people in the photographs or the people in those ads, are elated, they've massive big youth smiles on their faces, they're not happy because they've been drinking Coke, they're happy because they've been told to be happy for the ad yeah. but buying Coke doesn't make you happy you know, it doesn't make you elated you're not walking out, as, you're not singing that, And oh, no, that's the McDonald's ad Um, you know, they're walking out <laughs> even yeah, the McDonald's you ad, you're not singing can. the song Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, the always Coca-Cola song, you're not singing that walking out of the shop as soon as you start drinking the can yeah. it doesn't make you elated but you're sold the concept that it does the same as you know if you buy a Rolex if you see Rolex ads or anything that like you're sold to the idea of success because they put George Clooney and things like that in the ads
0: does that go back then but, to the mirror receptors that like we because we see this in front of us of someone having that reaction we feel that we'll have the same reaction
1: that and
0: the idea that
1: we need to compete right for millions and millions and millions of years when you were competing for a male or a female or whatever doesn't matter what genre of the animal kingdom you're in. yeah. You know that we need to be bigger and stronger and we need to be more successful to show off to Peacock, right? Yeah. But we've done that for millions and millions of years. But the only people we needed to compete with were other people in our village or our tribe for those partners. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, George Clooney's in your back pocket or he's on every single poster that you walk past. It's you successful. know, Giselle, all these actors are all over these posters and these magazines that you're walking past in shops our brains unconsciously think that they're actually in the room so we're part of our brain is old enough that it actually thinks they're real people standing next to us Mm -hmm. so you're now competing with your with george clooney for your husband or your wife you know or any of these different actors and models that we see on magazines because they now exist in your village in your world where they didn't before but now we need to match what they do so it's comparison is the thief of joy is this whole thing where We look at them and we think that they're happy and successful and we need to be like that too because we need to be, you know, a good prospective mate Mm -hmm. to continue our genetic line or whatever else. And we then act up for that. So we spend our whole lives trying to keep up with the Joneses because by keeping up with the Joneses, it makes us more attractive because we're bigger and we're stronger and we're cleverer and we're able to provide food and shelter and water and all the other things that we need. But it's just it's technology versus human psycho-evolution our brains still exist in part 90 million years ago 100 million years ago and that technology is all still within your head but now we've got so many different conflicting parts of your brain responding to different things and stimulus around the world that is now new but it's fake and it's kind of a a bit of a mumble jumble like you know
0: it goes back to kind of the the kind of self-love and where we get our happiness from, like, are we getting it from within us or are we getting it from external stimuli like, like that? Yeah. So. Like the
1: self is kind of a gray concept, right? So mm-hmm. we get up in the morning, you get on the bus and you sit beside the same smelly person who plays their music too loud. You come into the office, the vegan is in there after being eaten and chickpea curry again, the office is stinking. Now, look for right? <laughs> Don't pick on the vegans, John, John loves steak. Um, But <laughs> We, um, right, so it's been a long week, but we live in this gray space that we identify as just this kind of flat self, right? So this is what we do every day. We interact with the same people. The kids do the same thing. Neighbors do the same thing. We kind of float along in this space of mundaneness, right? But then we see elation as these moments that these highlights, but we're always chasing those happiness moments. And then we're trying to avoid the depressive moments, the sad moments, but we see sadness and depression as you know, like a sadness thing. And then we see elation as happiness, but elation isn't happiness. they are fleeting moments that happened there. Are, ha ha ha. That was hilarious. And then you go back to the gray space again, mm-hmm. but we don't realize that the gray space is actually contentment. And that's where we are now is, which is actual happiness. Mm-hmm. Because if you really stop to look at your life and look at the interactions that you have every single day, you know, we are more remarkable every single day than we think we are. Like I do this as one of my talks, I talk about Superman and Batman and Spider-Man and stuff like that. But if you look at any of the superheroes, this is totally stolen from Kill Bill. Um, There's, if you look at any of the superheroes, something has to happen to them for them to become super and cool. Like Spider-Man, Peter Parker had to be bitten by a radioactive spider to become Spider-Man. So as he was, was normal, perfect. But when he becomes cool, then he becomes Spider-Man when when something has to happen to him. That's the same as magazine covers and all this sort of stuff. But when we look at Superman and what Superman does, Clark Kent is Superman's critique on mankind because we have all of these superpowers that we have that we don't see ourselves because vision by its very nature is external so we only see what we can measure against which is the rest of the world Mm -hmm. but when we look at ourselves and we see all the things that we have we like if you're a parent you've not only made a child the most complicated thing in the whole planet like what you teach them to be kind and caring, you teach them to speak You're not an English language teacher, but you still manage to teach a kid to speak. Um, You you teach them to find food and shelter and water and all the other things they need to be a successful human and then to pass that on to the next genetic line. We don't think about that. Mm -hmm. What we see is... I can get up and to put the washing machine on to make the bed. You know, this is my normal life. Whereas when we go onto Instagram and Facebook and everything like that, what we're doing is we're measuring ourselves against everything that everybody's best cup of coffee, everybody's exciting day, everybody's cool stuff, things. Like a coffee shop that I get my coffee in some mornings. One of the girls, the kayak was on the roof of the car. I was coming into the studio. She follows me on Instagram, um, and she said, "You're really interested in life." I, what? Like, no, I don't. It's normal. And then the following morning, I was out kayaking with a guy, Kieran, and we were underneath uh, Ireland's Eye, and we were around the back of Ireland's Eye, and an aeroplane went over the f- top of me because it was torn into the flight pad for Dublin Airport. Yeah. It was a glorious early morning; like the sea was like it was switched off. It was like a mirror. Myself and Kieran came around the back of Ireland's Eye, and we looked up at the rocks. We started to have this kind of really cool discussion about the fact that we're here for 60, 70, 80, 90 years. If we're lucky, you know, it's a fleeting moment compared to when we look at the geology or whatever, at the back of Ireland's eye, It's there millions and millions and millions of years. And there's a rock on the top of the back of Ireland's eye that looks like it's going to fall off at any moment, but it's perfectly balanced. And we're like, you know what? We're as insignificant. Like just our whole lives are insignificant compared to the bigger picture. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I sat there and I said, "Do you know what, Ciaran? Somebody said this to me yesterday that I have an interest in life." I said, "Sitting here right now, I genuinely believe it." <laughs> you know, it was just the most but, incredible moment to be immersed that, in all of that.
0: About like it's just, it's just like I, I'm always preaching on about just appreciating those little moments in life because hmm. it. I th- I think it's not until those moments are gone. So say some tragedy happened, your your kayak got destroyed and you couldn't use it anymore that's when you'd appreciate those moments on the kayak so much more because you can't do yeah. it anymore. Whereas it's amazing what you did that day. You, you actually stopped and you said, this is actually amazing, you know? And I think, yeah, I think that's, being, that's a secret to a, to a beautiful life. It's just enjoying all those moments right now, rather than people call it there.
1: being consciously aware or being yeah. present, you know, consciously yeah. present in the moment. Yeah. And I'm, I try to be as consciously present in the moment as, as much as I can, but yeah. sure. Again, do as I say, not as I do, right. Absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. I was going to it's say, that like, there, no, go on, sorry. Have you heard, did, did you hear me say the chocolate cake thing before?
0: No, go ahead.
1: Happiness is like chocolate cake.
0: Right.
1: Look, everything else is random and weird. Might as well go, <laughs> go um, Yeah, happiness is like chocolate cake because the first slice, you have chocolate fudge cake and, you know, you bite into it. And the very first time you have it, it's the most incredible thing. Like it's mind blowing, tingling. Like your brain is firing off all sorts of receptors saying, Remember what this was, where you got it, what it tasted like, you know, because we want to do this again, because first of all, it tastes great. And second of all, it gives us energy. But that first slice is orgasmic. The second slice, the magic is gone. The third slice, fourth slice, but the eighth slice, it's just disgusting and wrong, right? But we have to have the bad... Yeah. to give reference to the good mm-hmm. so that we can give perspective to it you have to have something bad happen in order for the, the good to, to make sense you know um otherwise it's just and that cake just becomes and that happiness just becomes another gray space another yeah. part of your daily life
0: um do you, do you and, think that happens in general because i i like i know um and we probably haven't touched on in, in this because in i know you're talking to other podcasts about tragedy that's happened in your life i've had tragedy happened in my own personal life as well and do you think it's like i i I see a lot of people that just they have this most amazing outlook on life and then i see other people are constantly on autopilot and it seems that it's not until a tragedy happened or something something very like life shifting happens in someone's life until they become consciously aware and like it's a weird kind of way to say it but do you think we could be grateful for those tragedies in our life
1: I think we should be. Mm -hmm. Sadness, like death is, I have a weird relationship with death, but like, I have a weird relationship with all (laughs) things. But death is kind of, it's the final gift that anybody ever gives you.
0: Yeah.
1: Because it is the final lesson that they're going to give you in life. When we're born, we're born to learn. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's how evolution works. We learn, we pass it on to the next generation, survival of the fittest. But when, I remember my granny died and having this conversation with my aunt, your whole life, you're learning from your 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 adults. You're you learning from the village, right? And as we grow, we learn from bigger circles. So it starts in your house with your parents, grandparents. Kind of develops into the village, takes a village to raise a child, and we grow into the actual world around us, the whole world. But we're still learning lessons, and we're just a, we're a mosaic of all the things that came before us, all of the lessons that they learned, you know, and your great grandparents, all the way, 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 way back. But when like my granny was sick she was in hospital for a couple of years and um, my parents my aunts like my uncles they all knew all the right questions to ask the doctors and stuff like that they knew how to deal with all these different things they'd learned all the terminology you know they knew how to interact in that world all of a sudden where they didn't before because she had been sick and then when she died same thing happens like who do you call what do you do like what process do you have to follow how do you get a funeral director you know all that stuff needs to be done but they're all lessons that we're going to learn in that moment. But we're facing that grief. So grief is another lesson that we learn. It's something that was kind of, I suppose, invented by nature to make us not make the same mistakes. If you're a duck and you've got 50 chicks and don't, they don't do 50 chicks, but like they go down to the river and one of the chicks gets eaten because they went down and mammy duck wasn't paying attention. In nature, we're given that grief to say that was a bad thing. Don't do it again, right? But in life, we still have that because we can't all be here forever. But when somebody does die, we get that grief. But we learn to cope with that and we learn to deal with it and we learn to move on because we're going to have kids and nieces and nephews that are going to go through the same thing and you need to teach them to cope. You know, when I had this card that conversation with my aunt. It didn't make sense. She was listening, but not really. She was hearing me, but she wasn't really listening. Well, about six or seven weeks later, her partner, my uncle, um, his granny died, and that granny was the first person I think in forty years to die in that family. None of them knew what to do. None of them knew how to cope. She suddenly became sick and ended up in the hospital, and she's in her nineties. But nobody from her husband had died in 40 years or something. So all of a sudden there was chaos in the family. Nobody knew what to do while she was in hospital, but my aunt knew all the questions to ask, all the things to do. And she came to me afterwards and said, you were right. You know, all of a sudden she was the powerhouse that everybody needed, the support system that everybody needed because she had gone through it for two years with my granny. so she knew exactly what to do. And in the moment when my granny was dying, it was terrible we were all sad, but it didn't really make sense to her. But then it happens. And that's the same thing in our lives. We gain through our grief and through our loss, the ability to see the world in a different way. But not only that, to gain the skills, which that grief gives us. Um, And some people are kind of trust into stepping outside the six inches that's around their ankles because of that. Their brother dies or somebody they know or a friend dies. And all of a sudden they do become more aware. You know, you can continue on flat, and as you are, you can go one way where you're still trying to feel something and you're prepared to feel anything in order to feel stuff. Or we become hyper aware and go, do you know what? I need to sort my crap out. You know, people have heart attacks and things like that. And all of a sudden they go, right. Okay. Mortality is a real thing. I need to stop smoking. I need to stop drinking. I need to start exercising and running everywhere. Um, but yeah, I think it's, that's a very long, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs>
0: Do you know what, John? Um, I I said at the start, this is one of my first um, interviews back in in over a year. And one thing I didn't realize in that year is that Zoom has reduced my ability to talk for over an hour. And I've actually been told I have to cut it short in about two minutes. So (laughs) if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you one question that I ask every single guest on the podcast. And it is John Murray, what does mindful living mean to you? very different to everybody
1: what's the time we're doing
0: (laughs) it's you've got two minutes
1: (laughs) yeah no it's it's mindful living is like being consciously aware and living in the moment like is you know it's a bit of a buzzword but it's a it's a thing that you can apply you know when you're eating food you should be eating food you shouldn't be on your phone answering emails, trying to do a load of different things because we know, and science tells us that we can only do one thing at a time. We can actively only do one thing at a time. You're not focused. If you're doing a million different things, you know, you're not doing them very well, which is probably why I only do the three days a week thing, but it's about doing one thing and being aware of what you're doing and being in that. Um, And I think that's what it is. I think that's what being mindfully aware is. It's like, I was in Bologna a week and a half ago, a week ago, uh, sitting on a square eating actual bolognese in Bologna. And I sat there and I had been talking to my wife and then the two of us were sitting eating the food. And I was, I found myself concentrating on the food. and I, That is being mindfully aware. And I'm not concentrating on, partly trying to figure out what was in it. Uh, I know it was in it. It's not hard to figure it out. But, you know, tasting it and going, this is so much better now than it is out of a dal neo jar um and but being present in that moment and smelling the street and being aware of the life around me like that's important and then the same way when i go kayaking as well i'm kind of constantly lost and i find myself just suddenly coming out of a kind of kayak coma where you're like oh sorry i'm doing something sorry i'm with other people yeah <laughs> but it's, it's just you becoming gross in what you're doing
0: what a beautiful, beautiful way to end this conversation. And I'm so sorry that I've I didn't realise my uh my version of Zoom wasn't going to allow me to to talk anymore. Actually, and that's all right. Well actually no, it's saying no, I've another minute left. It's say oh, forty-two minutes. No. i saying one minute forty-five. I can see ah, the timer. You, Yeah, you're in timer as well. But uh listen, John, I have to say thank you so much. Um, I put a call out a couple of weeks back uh for guests for my podcast. Didn't think anyone was listening, but you jumped up straight away and you said yes. And it's been a fantastic conversation. Um, I just love your outlook on life and um I just love the the fact that um you just bring the best out of people. Um, I know I was very nervous going into your studio that that uh, day when I got my headshots and um, you managed to bring the best out of me. And uh, I really, really appreciate that. And um, listen, thank you and keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, pal. So there you have our first interview back for season four. Uh, again listen thank you so much for supporting the show and uh, coming back and listening i really do appreciate all the support uh, if you're new to the show and you want to find out a bit more about myself or my my outlook on mindfulness and life uh, you might want to t- check out my tedx talk uh, if you search on youtube for stephen downey tedx the the value of a moment you'll easily find it there and uh, it's something i'm very proud of and something i've done a few years ago So, listen, all I've to say is uh, thank you for listening. And I'm Stephen Downey, and this has been the Mindful Living Guide.